Hello, magical beings, and welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast, or welcome back to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott, and I'm your host. I'm a certified professional coach, an instigator of joy, and an intuitive human design reader. And I'm really excited today because it's December 1st. That meant that I got to open an advent calendar. Actually, I got to open three of them. My amazing husband made me an advent calendar. And my mom gave me two of them. Advent calendars are my favorite. Ever since I was a teeny tiny human, I just loved, well, then I loved the glittery ones that are really hard to find now. I've never been into the chocolate ones. I like... I just love finding each door and opening it and seeing what's inside. And I really don't care what's inside as long as I don't know what it is until I open the door. And I'm sharing this with you all today because one, I thought I would share my joy and excitement with you. And two, what if we treated every single day and every single moment as though it's like opening up the door to an advent calendar? As though you have no idea what's going to happen? What if we leaned in to the joy of uncertainty? Because it's so exciting, isn't it? Isn't it so exciting to see a wrapped gift and have no idea what's in it? And then to get to discover what's in it? That's the magic, right? Why is it that we are able to hold that magic when we're opening a gift? or we're opening a card, or we're opening something that we've never seen before. And yet in so many parts of our lives, we like to know what's in the package before we open it. How ridiculous is that? Why do we want x-ray vision? Why don't we lean into the process of discovery, of finding out, of exploring the adventure of the uncertainty? So that, my friends, is my invitation to you this week, to lean in to the joy and adventure of curiosity to lean into discovery and wonder and awe. And now let's get into this week's conversation. It is with Jory Rose. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a mindfulness and meditation teacher, author, speaker, and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world. She's helped thousands of people to decrease their stress, anxiety, and shed unhealthy habits, patterns, and mindsets through the development of mindfulness practice and by living more consciously and compassionately. She's also the host of the podcast Journey Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored two mindfulness books, Squirmy Learns to Be Mindful and Mindful, It's Elementary. This conversation was so much fun. Jory is a fantastic storyteller and stories are one of my absolute favorite ways to download wisdom. So enjoy the stories, lean into the uncertainty and download the wisdom. And of course, go forth and be awesome. I love you. So, Jory, you were on TV for the first time this weekend. I was. Oh my gosh, Kelsey, I can't believe I was on TV. <laughs> Tell us all about it, please. So, I was on KTLA, which is one of the largest broadcasts in California, and it was the Sunday morning edition of the news. And I went on talking about disaster anxiety. You know, I live in California and I'm up in the Bay Area. And last weekend was a really scary weekend for us in California. So many wildfires started. And where I live, there were a couple that got pretty close to home, so much so that my sister had to evacuate. And the areas in which we've experienced previous fires were burning again. And it's, it's awful. It was so hard. I ended up having 13 people at my house and three dogs because people had no power. They had to evacuate. And the situation's real. And at the same time, the winds were crazy, which we don't really get high winds here, but the dry weather, the high winds. So the next morning, it prompted me to do a Facebook Live on how parents can talk to their kids about these disasters. Because as a therapist, I find that Parents have really good intentions and really poor execution. And parents don't have the skills to communicate effectively, to communicate compassionately, and to actually 
see, hear, and validate their child. In fact, I'm going to broaden this and say it's not just parents, but even in relationships, <laughs> yeah. we're always knowing how to see and hear and validate our partners. So it's really communication patterns. But that Facebook Live that I did, I think was the biggest views I've ever had. There was over 500 views. And I thought, wow, people are watching this because they really need to hear this information because we all don't know what to do when there's an emergency. And that turned into me taking that Facebook Live and turning it into different media pitches, one of which I was successful in getting on the radio. There's a local San Francisco area 80s radio station and the morning DJ is Martha Quinn. For those who go back to the 80s, she was one of the original MTV VJs when mm -hmm. MTV first Amazing. came out. So Martha Quinn has a wellness moment every day. So I got to be on the radio. And then the pitch got turned into for different uh, TV outlets. And next thing I knew, I'm flying down to LA for my first TV segment ever. And it was amazing. And normally I was told that you only get maybe four or five minutes. Mine was almost a seven minute segment. So they let it keep going. And I was so proud of what I talked about because it was exactly the talking points that I wanted to give, which is how to communicate when we're overwhelmed because it's so easy for parents to just say, oh, don't worry, you're going to be fine or calm down. There's nothing to worry about. Well, I guarantee you the last thing a kid is ever going to do when you say calm down or don't worry is to actually calm down or not worry. And so I spoke through the different ways that we can do this. And it's really an understanding of how the brain works because we've got our emotional brain. And when that fires off, it shuts down our prefrontal cortex, which is where all of our executive functioning is, where we have logic, reason, rationality, decision-making. And until we can calm down that emotional brain, no communication is effective until that happens. So it's actually counterintuitive by having a parent say to their kid, yeah, this is really scary right now. I can see why you're really overwhelmed. That makes perfect sense. This is normal for you to feel this because parents actually fear that if we say what the child is actually feeling, that that's going to make the emotion get bigger. Where in fact, neuroscience shows by naming it actually makes the emotion smaller because you've given it room to exist. And it's super counterintuitive, but let me tell you, it's overly simplified, but it works just to name what we are experiencing. So it was, it was a really amazing TV segment and I was really proud of myself. My inner critic got really quiet because I actually practice all the tools that I teach, which was to stay present, to breathe. I named for myself what was arising, around, well, yeah, this is a little anxiety provoking. I've never done this before. My mind started to wander to all the potential bad what ifs that could happen. And I just noticed and it just brought my mind right back. And so that, that's the beauty, I think, of the authenticity of my work is I actually practice what I preach all the time. And so you've been amazing. training. It sounds like you've been training for this. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, after the election in a couple years ago, so regardless of which end of the political spectrum you're on, however, there was a, on my Facebook feed, a lot of fear and anxiety and anger that showed up and having studied mindfulness and trained in mindfulness and been teaching mindfulness and meditation for years, I really saw a lot of Buddhist response to the fear and anger people were experiencing. And the Buddhist rhetoric was bow down to the challenges be grateful for them because this is why we practice. We build up this toolbox. We build up this bank of tools that we use only when we really need them. And so to be grateful for those hardships or those challenges or those struggles, or for me, this new experience. And I was able to actually really dig deep to draw upon the tools that I've been practicing for years and I still use them on a daily basis. I mean, they don't have to be big triggers, right? right? Whether it's just, you know, I'm tired or I'm overwhelmed with how many clients I've seen in a day or my kids haven't helped 
pick up around the house or my boyfriend's irritable or, you know, whatever the small trigger is, the tools are the same. And that's really, really, really love what I love about what I teach. And these tools of mindfulness and meditation is the tools are the same, regardless as if it's something small, like my jeans aren't fitting today or something really big of what would I pack if I have to evacuate for a fire or an emergency, the tools are the same. Mm-hmm. And it sounds overly simplified and I don't want to negate the big stuff, but it's all about how we respond versus react to what's arising. Yeah. It's really I that saw, simple. Um, a few years ago, I crashed my bike in a race mm. and I had been, I'd had a mindfulness practice for like three or so years going into it. And that I'd seen it, I'd seen the benefits of that practice in little ways. Yeah. But in that crash, that was the moment I'd been training for, you know, that was what all the practice was about. Oh, wow. Now I saw people reflected it back to me, but Mm -hmm. I saw the major difference. I saw that I was able to respond and stay centered throughout the experience. Yes. That's why we practice. This is why we practice. And the worst case scenario is always bigger in our head than it is in actuality. Because our mind is really creative. We can come up with really fantastical stories. And then the worst part is that we can actually believe them. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone who says, who like claims that they're not creative, look in your mind. Oh, yes. Come on. We're pretty fantastic. Anybody is a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I wanted to share something with you and related to this. Um, and then it relates back to the storytelling comment. So I'll bring it full circle. So my favorite spiritual teacher is a guy named Dan Millman. Do you know who he is? You yep. ever heard of him? Okay. So he wrote the book way of the peaceful warrior. My favorite book of his is actually called the laws of the universe. No, I know just my blind just my mind is blank on the name of the book. Anyhow, I'll get back to the laws of spirit, the laws of spirit. That's what it is. The laws of spirit. Fantastic book. I've been on retreat with him three times. I have had my most major life-changing moment while on retreat with him. That's a whole separate story. But I I, I will tear that story because that's a phenomenal, um, aha, life-changing, like I can't turn back from this moment story. So he said on his first retreat that he led in Costa Rica, which I'm actually really excited. My boyfriend and I are leading our first international retreat at the same resort in Costa Rica next September. So anyone listening is a couple and wants the tools for the ultimate relationship, come with us to Costa Rica. So Dan Millman was on his first Costa Rica retreat and they were on an excursion ziplining. And this one woman was freaking out over having to zipline. It was inducing a lot of fear. So that they arrived to the location And she starts having a lot of anxiety as they're getting out of the car. And Dan Millman, in very compassionate sarcasm, says to her, what, you've never gotten out of a car before? (laughs) And she's like, oh, okay. So then they start walking towards the, you know, where the trail is going to begin to where they're going to get hooked up. And she's standing and she has to climb a ladder. And she starts having all this anxiety. And he says to her, what, you've never climbed a ladder before? And she's like, oh, okay, I can do that. And then when they got to the top, she had to stand next to the tree as she was being, you know, connected on with the, with the equipment and she was freaking out. And Dan Millman looked at her and said, what, you've never stood next to a tree before? And she's like, oh, I could do that. Okay. And it's like every step of the way, she was like five steps ahead of what was actually happening. Mm, And that fear, and he just kept bringing her back. Like, stand next to a tree, climb, like you can do this. Mm-hmm. And so when he finally, you know, it's her turn to go and she's standing at the ledge and he looks, you know, she looks at him and he says, okay, now be scared. <laughs> like, <laughs> as you take that step, now is an appropriate time to let some of that fear come over. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you're letting the fear of the what if and the unknown take over before anything has ever happened. So I used that mentality when I was prepping yesterday morning, when I was arrived at the studios and I walked into the building and i like started to get anxiety. I'm like, I've walked into a building before, you know, or I started to get my, um, my clothes changed. I started to feel anxious. What I've, I've changed my clothes before. 
so I was able to use that practice to just bring myself right back and bring myself right back. And it's so helpful because even when I sat down in the chair and I was on set, cameras were rolling, it was live. All I was doing was talking to two people. I've talked to two people before. In fact, I talk to people all day long about my expertise. <laughs> Why should I be nervous about doing something I do all the time? That is so good. It's so simple. Yeah. It's so simple. And yet it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our mind is just so fast. So much wants to be way far ahead, making stories mm-hmm. up. Oh yeah. Just bring it back so that it's actually attached to the rest of our and body. And the worst part is, is not we do what we don't just make up the stories, but we believe them. Mm. Yeah. We believe them as if they've already happened. Which is really funny in today's culture because there's a lot of other stuff we don't believe apparently. Yeah. But <laughs> we believe the stuff we make up that, has, yeah. that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. I once saw a really funny meme or something. My daughters always tell me I use the word meme wrong, but whenever I see like a funny quote, I call it a meme. But anyhow, there was this funny quote or picture I saw on some social media, and it was a picture of a wall with a wet paint sign on it. And how the human nature, if we see a sign that says wet paint on a wall, it's almost our human nature to want to go touch the wall to verify it is in fact wet, even though we're told it's wet, like we're being told what it is and yet we're still questioning it. But think of how many other things we are told that we don't question. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, I just find that fascinating. I find humans, I mean, I think this is why we're both in this work that we do. Oh yeah. I find humans fascinating. I find my own mind fascinating. I just find the way that we stumble through life to be hilarious and fascinating. And you know, the best way to go through it for me is to be curious about it. Me too. If I'm being curious, I'm not in judgment. If I'm in judgment, I stay stuck. It's that simple. Curiosity is my zone of genius. Yes. That's when I'm in flow. Yes. And that's what, when you were describing the the whole TV interview, it sounded like you were in flow. You allowed yourself, you got out of your own way and allowed yourself to be in flow. I got completely out of my own way. And do you know what part of it was? Part of it was, wait, I thought I'm supposed to be nervous now. And I wasn't. And then I was trying to create something that I thought was supposed (laughs) to be there. And then when it wasn't there, I thought, am I okay that I'm actually not nervous? And so even when I was in flow, I was questioning momentarily my flowing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've been there. I totally unrelated, but I used to teach group fitness and every once in a while. And and as I taught, it just kind of came out of my mouth. Like, I don't know. Apparently I was good at it, but I'd every once in a while, like maybe once or twice a year, I'd have this voice in the back of my head that was like, what are you doing? Like, since when are you, do you teach group fitness? What is mm-hmm. this? And for, I'd like, for a split second, I'd just stumble over everything because I, I had it this gets you background stuck. noise. Yeah. Yeah. So can I, can I segue into my most life-changing moment with Dan Millman? Because I was I about to this, ask you for I, it. I, was, so I think this will like really um, highlight how I actually got to this point. So in a quick nutshell, my, my journey to my spirituality, my journey to how I've gotten to where I am today is like most of us, when we go through our journeys, there is no accident. But at the time, it seems like this series of rarely random events that seem to all be connected when we put it together. And I was going through a really hard point in my marriage. I am now since divorced, kind of a little teaser to the end of the story, or part of the end of the story. But I was going through a really tough time. And I had been with my husband since I was 13. And it was by all intents and purposes, it was a a good relationship. We just grew apart. We lacked some of the things that I was really needing to have in a long-term partnership. And I didn't know what to do. And randomly one day via Facebook messenger, an old college friend reached out 
someone I hadn't spoken to in probably like 10 or so plus years. And he said, how are you? And I said, eh, not so good. I'm one of those actual honest people that I'm not just going to say, fine, thanks. How are you? Uh, authenticity is too high of a value for me just to answer like that. If I'm in a bad mood, I'll probably tell you I'm not really great. And his response was, hang in there, peaceful warrior. And I said, peaceful warrior, what is that? He said, it's a book, go get it. And that was kind of the last I've heard from him. Like, honestly, it was the most random, like <laughs> fluttering in of this little angel. And then he fluttered right out. So literally the next day we were going on a 16 day vacation. So I bought the book and I read Way of the Peaceful Warrior the entire trip. And that trip was really hard. And I remember the last night of the trip, lying in bed going, oh my God, like now what? I've just read this eye-opening spiritual awakening book. Like what do I do with all this information? And it was just a few months prior to that, that I had really come to mindfulness practice. And I had started doing trainings and teaching mindfulness, but I was really at the brink of my mindfulness awareness and practice. So I finished the book. And I don't even know if Dan Millman was still alive because this book was written in the, in the 80s. So I look him up online and I see that he still is alive and he leads retreats. And when I found him, what I found was Omega Institute, which is in upstate New York. And as I looked through Omega Institute, I discovered that John Kabat-Zinn, who's the grandfather of mindfulness in the Western world, also leads retreats. And that was like the new shiny object. And I kind of forgot about Dan Millman. And I ended up booking a seven-day mindfulness-based stress reduction with John Kabat-Zinn. Like if I'm going to learn, I want to go to the top of the line. I don't want to learn by someone who's learned from others. I want to learn from the source. So I go on the seven-day retreat, like seven months later. That was life-changing in and of itself. A few months after that, I went on a five-day silent Buddhist meditation retreat, which if I can stop talking for five days, anyone can do it. That was a, a huge practice. But I started going on more retreats. And I ended up going on one um, a year later at my most favorite place in the world, which is Esalen Institute in Big Sur, which if anyone has an ability to get to Esalen, go, 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 go. It's, it's phenomenal. It's right on the cliffs of Big Sur, overlooking the entire coast with natural hot springs built into the cliffside. It's, it's pure magic. So I'm there and I meet a friend who lives back east and who often goes to Omega. Well, what I failed to mention was the year, the summer prior to this, I had booked another mindfulness retreat at Omega Institute in upstate New York, but I had to cancel it last minute because my husband and I and my kids, we ended up moving. And I thought, I can't go on this retreat. We've been struggling in our marriage. We just bought this new house. I need to be mindful and stay present with what's arising. And what was arising was I need to be home. So I canceled that retreat. So here I am the following summer. I go to Esalen. I meet you know, people who go to Omega. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got these flight credits. I have to use by this summer because I canceled this flight from the previous summer. And when I went home, I knew I only had one weekend all summer that I was able to go away for the weekend because of what was going to work with my kids' schedule. So I looked up on the Omega Institute's website. The one weekend I was able to go, guess who was leading the retreat? Dan Millman. This was almost two years after my entree into him. And I booked it. I didn't even ask my husband. I remember just him coming home and saying, I'm going to New York. This is what I'm doing. I'm meant to be there. So a couple weeks later, I fly out to New York and it was incredible. The whole first part of the retreat was how to cultivate a peaceful, compassionate heart. And the last day was how to embody a warrior spirit. So what that meant as Dan Millman had been a martial artist much of his life, he was teaching us martial arts as a way of embodying our warrior spirit. So here I found myself on a Sunday morning in July doing martial arts to a routine to Lionel Richie, <laughs> Dan Millman in upstate New York. And I thought like, this is so surreal. How did I get here? 
and it was amazing. After we did our martial arts routine, he broke, up, he broke us into groups of three people. And one of us was trying to reach the other person across the room as if they are a long lost friend we haven't seen. The instruction was for that person who's walking across the room to go walk towards that person. However, the third person is going to stop you on your path to get to the other person. And that third person is going to throw their arm out and block you from reaching your, your, your long lost friend. That third person who blocks you represents self-doubt. So this was an exercise in demonstrating how self-doubt gets in the way of us reaching our goals. So we had to go through this exercise multiple times where you had to play each role, the person you were trying to walk towards. But even in that, a self-doubt would stop you and throw their arm out in front of your chest. The first two times, self-doubt won. And only the third time were you able to push past that person's arm to reach the, your, your long lost friend. So we did this like probably like nine times because each role, you know, self-doubt blocked us multiple times. It was a very powerful exercise because self-doubt comes in instantly. So we do this exercise. He then goes to assemble two cement blocks side by side, about a foot apart from each other. In between these two cement blocks was a purple meditation cushion. And across the two cement blocks, making like a bridge, was a board. And he said, there's a group of about 65 people here. He said, we're gonna have to break a board. And it wasn't a piece of wood, it was a piece of plastic that had these interlocking links but it was like a real martial art board that you could break. The very, very, very first thing that popped into my head, this is verbatim, so part of my language. <laughs> the first thing that popped into my head was, I can't fucking break a board. There it was, self-doubt. Immediately, <laughs> self-doubt showed up. So he assembled, you know, he's got this assembled, the two blocks, the cushion in between the two blocks, the board across the top. And there was actually three different boards you could choose from. One was the weight of an, like a real piece of wood, like what you would do in a real martial arts practice. One was a lighter board and one was a heavier board. So he says, not only do you have to choose which weight of the board you're going to break, but oh, by the way, you only get one chance. And then he says, okay, so what's the goal here? And we're like, duh, you just told us we're breaking a board. And he said, no, the goal is to hit the cushion underneath it. The board is simply in your way. So I'm full of self-doubt. I can't fucking break a board. I can't do this. Now it's up to my turn. And I get up there. I choose the, the middle board, the one that's the equivalent weight of a real piece of wood, because I don't like taking the easy way out. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I'm there and I'm kneeling down and I'm looking up at Dan Millman and this whole thing is still super surreal to me that I'm even there with him. And I'm kneeling down and he tells me where to hit the board with my hand and he tells me to focus. And I'm trying to breathe and I kept practicing. I kept bringing my arm up and then bringing it back down and kind of practicing the motion. And everyone's cheering my name. And I bring my arm up. I'm looking up at Dan Millman and I swipe my arm down and I didn't break the board. And I was devastated. And immediately I was like, see, told myself I couldn't break it. There it was. Self-doubt was, self was right. And I was full of so much embarrassment and so much shame because of the 65 people in this retreat, only six of us didn't break the board. There was old women in their 70s, literally, who were breaking the board, and I didn't do it. So after everyone went, he said, okay, raise your hand if you didn't do it. And I very sheepishly raised my hand, still full of incredible self-doubt, but now I've added on, you know, some other un 
unlikely friends have, have joined this you know, little crowd of self-doubt. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. So now I had to decide, am I going to choose the same board I tried to break and failed? Or am I going to go for the lighter, easier one? What do you think I did? I'm wondering why you didn't consider the heavy one. Oh, well, that was not an option. Okay. <laughs> I knew you know, that the heavy one was really reserved for like the major strong athletes of the room. Okay. Yeah. I didn't need to push myself that far, but I ended up choosing the one that was the real piece of wood. I didn't, I'm like, I'm not going to go lighter. To me, that was taking the easy way out. And if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail with dignity. I'm not going to fail with, you know, trying to, trying to make it easier. So now I get up there and now I'm really wrestling with self-doubt because not only is self-doubt still there, but self-doubt already proved herself to me to be right. So I'm up there again and I'm kneeling down and I'm looking up at Dan Millman and I realized I did two things wrong the first time. One was I hit with the wrong part of my hand. I hit with my finger and not like the, the meat of my fist on the side of my hand. And I knew that was the wrong spot because when I hit it the first time, the tip of my pinky turned purple, like all the blood just flowed and it was hurting. So I knew one thing was that I had to hit with the correct part of my hand. But I also realized as I was sitting there the second time prepping myself, the entire time on the first time around, my entire focus and gaze and energy was focused on the board. Mm. And when I realized, excuse me, when I realized that, that shifted everything. So I'm looking up at Dan Millman again. He's telling me, breathe. And then he said to me, when you do it, that's when you do it. Like, don't psych yourself out beforehand. Like, when you're ready to bring your arm down and to break this board, that's when you break it. Stop stopping yourself before you get there. So I breathed, and something inside of me, I, I literally felt the energetic shift. And in that shift, I turned all of my attention from the board down to the cushion. And I breathed. I looked up at Dan Millman. Everyone's cheering my name. And I threw my arm up and I came right through that board and I hit right down into the cushion. And I let up this huge whopping scream. My arms went up in the air. And I tell you, Kelsey, that moment, self-doubt no longer had space in my life. Uh, that was the single most life-defining moment I had because I literally and figuratively and energetically pushed past self-doubt. And I realized it's only as strong as the power as I give it. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, shit, I think I have to get divorced. <laughs> like, all the things that I was afraid of, I now had to go embrace because self-doubt was no longer an excuse for me not to. And so as I talk about this, and I've, and I've taught this from the basis of this story for many years, the way that I phrase it is I'll ask people, what's your board and what's your cushion? Mm-hmm. What are your goals or dreams or hopes? And what are your obstacles? What's getting in your way? And I love phrasing it like that because I'm a very visual person. I like thing, seeing it in, in visuals. It makes sense to me. And once I broke through that board, I, I realized, you know, my only obstacle is thinking I can't get through the board. And when you're saying I can't get through the board, you're not even saying I can't get through the, to the cushion. Your talk, all your energy is focused on the board. A hundred percent. And that's where it stayed stuck. Mm-hmm. And so I, I actually was thinking about that when I was on live TV yesterday. I don't want any boards in this experience. I'm like all cushion right now, baby. Right? This is my goal. This is my dream. I want to push past whatever obstacle I'm perceiving to be there because so many of the obstacles are perceptions, Mm. their fears, their anxieties, their self-doubts. And so what I often will say with my clients is what if your roadblock is really only a speed bump? Yeah. You know, what's coming up for me as you're talking about that is 
I think we tend to spend a lot of time trying to identify what the obstacles are, to name the boards, to get a good image of what they are. But if our focus is on the cushion, do we really need to get into the nitty gritty of what the board looks like? No. And you know what's even what, what's really powerful is I've done this exercise with so many people. People will often even say to me, my board is that I don't know what my cushion is. Mm. What's keeping me stuck is I don't know where to go from here. Whether it's someone wanting to change careers, whether it's not knowing if they should get out of a toxic relationship, whether it's a stay-at-home mom feeling like, you know, now that her kids are older, I have no purpose. I have no meaning. Where do I find that? So I, I find so often we, we, we get in fear of taking steps forward because we don't know where they're headed. And that's enough to stop us. Yeah. And keep us stuck. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's so powerful to recognize what those obstacles are and to recognize, wait a second, I have power over this. This was just self-doubt talking right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. You're so welcome. Literally my single most life-defining moment. And then there's a follow-up to this story, actually. Okay, keep the going. The follow-up is that that was in July of 2013. Mm -hmm. And by July of 2000, and well, let me say this. That was in July 2013 in New York. And I knew that Dan Millman led retreats in Costa Rica. Well, when I came back from that retreat, I really told my husband, I want to go to Costa Rica on his next Costa Rica retreat. And he said, no, he wouldn't let me go. I think he was in fear of me growing and changing too much, which happened. So it was a real fear for him. But... I couldn't go on that first Costa Rica retreat after I broke the board because I was still married. But that following summer is when I got divorced. And one of the first things that I did when I got divorced was I booked Dan Millman's next Costa Rica retreat. And so from July, 2013 to February, 2016, I boarded that plane by myself to Costa Rica. I had never traveled out of the country alone. I hadn't even traveled all that much alone. I had just gotten divorced. So this was a huge deal to me to travel out of the country by myself somewhere where I knew nobody to a country I didn't speak the language in. But as I boarded that plane to Costa Rica, I was so full of pride because I broke that board and then I took action on my life because I think a lot of people could go through their lives breaking their boards and then be like, oh, look at that, I broke it. And then not take the next steps and not do anything based on what their aha moment was or their growth point or they've let go of some old story or fear and then they're still not living their life differently. But as I arrived in Costa Rica, I'm like, I actually did it. It wasn't easy. Don't get me wrong. It was, you know, one of the hardest things I'd ever gone through. But to have arrived there, actually a changed person from who I was years earlier was one of my most prideful moments of my whole life. It's interesting that you chose the phrase, I did it. Because what I thought you were going to say is I'm doing it. Yeah. Because you were living I, yeah, I was. I life. am. I still am. Yeah. I still am. And it's from that place that I really guide the work that I do of my whole branding of journey forward. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea of we get stuck and we get stuck easily. And yet when we're able to recognize even that we're just stuck, having that awareness is the first step to getting unstuck. And you know, we have an ability to want to stay really comfortable, even when it's not working for us. And I, I, I still am taking those steps forward to get out of my comfort zone. I have so many amazing stories of this. Like one, another one of my favorite stories is I was in Honolulu speaking at an international conference on mindfulness and education. 
And I was there, we were presenting with a friend and I wanted to go hike Diamond Head one morning. I had never done that before. And he didn't want to go, so I was excited to get to go alone. And I got there before sunrise, and I decided that I wanted to hike it in the dark, meaning I wasn't going to use my flashlight on my phone whatsoever. And I'm pretty determined about things. And when I get determined, like self-help can still come in, but I also have this very strong determination. And I could only see the light of the moon, some of the stars, and people ahead of me using their flashlight. Otherwise, I completely trusted my footing, my awareness, my senses to guide me. And it was pretty darn dark. And it was not an easy path. It was like a very rust, rust, rugged, kind of rustic dirt path. And it's not like there are trees on either side of that path. No, no. It's just like a trail and then kind of like a, 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 a gate of like a cliff yeah. on one side. Yeah. So at one point you go through a tunnel and I don't know who this person was, but as I was going through the tunnel, it was still really dark out and very early in the morning, maybe like 5.30, this man was walking towards me and I didn't feel fear. I didn't feel was uncomfortable or I was in danger. But as I'm walking through the tunnel, he, this man's walking towards me. Maybe he was like a park ranger or something. And he says, when you get to the end of the tunnel, go left. That's the easier path. Go left. And my first instinct was, who does he think I am? What makes him assume I want to take the easier path? You know, why would I assume I would not go right? So I just said, thank you. And I kept walking. What I do at the end of the path, I'm like, I'm going right. Like, I'm not going to take the easy way that someone just told me to do. And going right meant climbing like a hundred stairs. And it's still in the dark. I'm not using my flashlight. And I get to the top of these hundred stairs and I'm like in this spiral staircase and I, I can't figure out where I am. And I see like some people like kind of yonder through a bunker, but I can't figure out how to get from where I am to where they are. But I'm so determined to not use my flashlight and just try to figure the situation out. And I don't really think there was a way out for me. Like I don't think they even connected. And then I was laughing at myself as I walked back down the hundred stairs and I'm like, oh my God, Jory. Some person just told me, here's the easier path. This is where you're supposed to go. This is what you do. And I had to be all defiant and prove, oh, okay, thank you for giving me guidance. Why didn't I just listen the first time? Because when I went left, like you're there, you arrive, like that's the destination. And I actually saw the little bunker where people were in from the top. And the metaphors kept continuing because I get there and now, at that moment, a, a huge rainstorm fell and I stood at the top and my arms opened in a heart opening and I just let myself get poured on. And then the storm passed and then the storm was to my right and the sun was rising to the left. Like it was so beautiful, the metaphors. And then when I was going back down and now the sun's out and I could see the path, ironically, I had a harder time walking down the path when I could see because I could see where all the divots were. I could see how treacherous of a path it was. I could see where I could have, you know, slipped a little bit and seeing it actually made it harder because this, that's where my mind was spinning of like, Oh, I, I can't do that. I can't step here. Where, where am I going to put my footing there? It was, it was amazing. It was such a juicy story. There's so oh my much God. in there. There's so much in there. Yeah. Oh, trust when somebody says here, when somebody hands you something, it's okay to receive it. Um, yes. <laughs> the easy way is actually given to us. We're allowed to take it. It's allowed to be easy. I'm not any less stronger capable by taking the easy path. Yeah. It, yeah. You like that person, everyone wanted you to be at the top. Mm -hmm. The top was there for you. Yes. Just. Oh, yeah. And then the, the irony that actually having the light made it harder. Oh, right. Like sometimes the more we see, the harder it is. Mm -hmm. The more you know. Yes. The more complicated things are. The yes. scarier they are. Yes. The more we make up the stories. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That was another That's one so of my good. stories. <laughs> Your stories have been wonderful today. Thank 
you. Thank you. I, 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 you know, over the years, I've got so many more. I mean, Kelsey, we could have, you know, hours because honestly, I was so stuck in my life. I really got to the point, and this was prior to Dan Millman, but I got to the point, and this was in about 2010, 2011, where I had no idea who I was. I woke up one day and I literally was like, how the hell did I get here? I don't remember making the conscious choices to get to where I am. And I had been with my ex since I was 13 years old. We never once broke up all through high school, all through college, got married at 24, had my first daughter at 25, had my second at 28. I had the perfect life, honestly, like we were that couple. I have amazing daughters. We, he, my husband had a really great career. We would go on like three vacations a year, had a beautiful house. I was able to be a stay at home mom. Like this was the life I crafted. This is exactly what I wanted. And I wasn't happy or I should rather say I was happy, but I wasn't fulfilled because I had just spent every, you know, like what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. Like what's that trajectory and that momentum. But when I slowed down, it's like, who the hell am I? And so I just opened up to the universe of help me, you know, point me the signs, tell me what I need to do, but give me the awareness to know what those brute markers are. And I asked for the awareness and oh my God, I got flooded with, I had a light that went on by itself for months. I mean, these are longer stories. If you want, I can share them. But like, you know, once I opened myself up to them, they didn't stop. And my light, my light went on for a couple of months. And when it, it stopped going on was right when I turned 33. And that's when I started seeing the number 33 everywhere. And I mean, everywhere for months, almost the entire year. And it wasn't until almost the end of my 33rd year that my therapist actually said to me, well, you know what the number 33 means, right? And I'm like, no, I don't, I didn't know. Like he apparently knew this whole time as I would tell him all these 33 stories and 33 is the, well, all numbers in numerology have a meaning. Mm -hmm. There's three master numbers, 11, 22, and 33. 33 is the highest of the, the master numbers. It's the age Jesus was when he died and resurrected. And I'm not, well, I'm Jewish. So I didn't even know that. But that meaning has a lot of significant religious, sociocultural interpretations. So in numerology, the number 33 represents higher level consciousness. And it represents the completion of one phase and the initiation into another. I'm going to add something else for you. It's not related to 33, but yes. that I accept that that nudge to have a numerologist on this podcast, by the way, I'm hearing it universe. Um, but I guess I had on recently on Hatta, she said that, so in 2020, we're going through the eye of the needle and we all started this transition in 2012. Hmm. So 2012 is when we all started waking up. Maybe not all of us, but you know, a bunch of Those us on the path. Yeah. yeah. We started waking up and in 2020, we go through the eye of the needle and we got to ditch everything. We can't take everything with us. So hmm. all that old shit, it's, we got to leave it behind. Mm -hmm. It's not going to fit through the eye of the needle. Yep. I believe it. It sounds like your timing is right on the path with that. Oh yes. Yeah, like my spiritual connection has just, my connection to spirit and to the universe got so strong mm -hmm. because when I truly, I mean, this was my mindfulness practice, was truly beginning to slow down, to create space, to breathe. And once I did that, I was able to get out of my head and out of all those stories and out of all the shoulds and out of all the expectations and out of all the assumptions and out of all the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I allowed myself to tune into myself and my body. And then I got really clear on, okay, what's not working. And it, you know, it was not an easy fix. A lot of these, my changes evolved and evolved over time. 
but I can truly say with pure consciousness and awareness, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I can feel it in your energy. Thank you. My, 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 My therapist had me get a magic wand years ago because he's like, you have really powerful energy and you make things happen. He goes, you don't know what to compare it to. He goes, I see a lot of people. He goes, you make things happen and you need to be really careful that you're pointing that wand in the right direction Mm. because you don't want to use your energy in the wrong way. I don't feel like you have the energy to use in a wrong way. I think in the beginning, I I didn't realize the power of my energy and I didn't know how to harness my intentions clearly. So I think I've refined that. Um, But I think in the beginning, I was craving change so much. I don't think it was always healthy in the beginning. Mm. I think I was in that grasping and clinging. Like, I don't know who I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want. You know, how do I go about discovering this? So I think what you get to experience in me now is much more practiced and refined, but I am still, I call myself, I am a master manifester. Yeah. You know, as soon as you said magic wand, I was like, oh, right. I see it. Like I can see it and it's, there are sparkles coming out of it. Like it's not, there's no dark energy coming out of that wand. No, no. It's, it's a lot of light. It's a lot of sparkles. Yeah. A lot yeah. of pixie dust. A lot of pixie dust. In fact, you know, my, my license plate says, or my license plate frame has, um, you know, all, all we need is faith, love, and pixie dust. Truth. Yes. And, okay. Wait, that reminds me of, I have a question I want to ask you. I was yes. going to try and wrap this up because we should. I think we uh, could talk for hours though, Kelsey. I do too. <laughs> um, all right. So which one do I want to ask you? First, if you had a billboard, what would you put on it? Oh, Wow. Can it be a cryptic meaning or does it have to be like something inspirational? Okay. Well, if I was, okay. If I was doing like the billboard for the masses, I would probably have it say, take a minute and just breathe. Mm. I think that almost solves it all. So if I, if I wanted to give out one message, it would be take a minute and just breathe. Cause if we're breathing, we're calming our brain, we're calming our body. We're getting present. We're responding, not reacting. We're getting out of reactivity all of it. I think that would be um, my, my message for the masses. If I wanted my cryptic message, I would probably do the two things that have been my biggest transitions in my life. One is the word or, which is the Hebrew word for light, which um, has been a theme in my life. And even at my bat mitzvah when I was 13 years old, the Torah portion that I spoke about was about the plague darkness and how we find the light in the dark. And he pointed out that even in the middle of my name, Jory, is the Hebrew word for light, which is or. And that light has been a theme in my life, ongoing, both energetically of just the light that I bring to, the, to others, to my smile, to my energy, but I literally had a light go on. That was my big wake up. So light, so the word or, and the number 33, because those two things have been my biggest root markers to wake me up and put me on the path that I'm on. Hmm. I love that. I love both of those. You get both of those billboards. Okay, good. Thank you. I can't, I can't limit it. Cause it's like, do I want to go practical or do I want to go woo woo? I've got both. <laughs> and I don't believe in limits. So you can have all yes. the billboards you need. Beautiful. Um, all right. The last question for you, sadly, I don't know if I'm going to stick to this. So okay. um, it's, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? Get divorced. You know, I, I grew up with a lot of fear and anxiety and that fear was reality based. A lot of our fears are what if based, but the fears I grew up with were real. And I mean that in terms of my family had a lot of tragedy, both prior to me being born. So my, you know, generational trauma. Um, my mom's parents were killed in a car accident when my mom was 16. And my mom was the only survivor of the accident. And she had two younger brothers at the time. 
and she became instant caretakers to her younger brothers and her immigrant Russian grandparents moved in. And as a result, as you can imagine, that has caused my mom a lifetime of trauma. Um, and as a result with me, I grew up very dependent on her. And my parents got divorced when I was three. And then my dad commits suicide when I was 10. So the, the trauma and the fear that people die and bad things happen, whether by intentional reasons like suicide or accidents like being hit by a drunk driver, death was very real to me. Abandonment was very real to me. Fears were reality-based. They weren't what if. Mm-hmm. And when I was little and would have fears of if my mom was five minutes late coming home, I was convinced she was dead on the side of the road. That was not just a random what if. Those were realities in my family. So I always felt really justified by my fears. And as a result, I strived to maintain comfort and security where I could. And when I was young, that meant having huge dependency on my mom. And then when I was 13, I transferred all of that dependency to my ex-husband. And our names were like one word. We went to separate high schools, but I really had no friends at my high school because I was with him all the time out of high school. We went to separate colleges and all my friends were at his school. I really had very limited friends at my college. I even graduated college a year early to catch up to him because he was a year ahead of me and I was too afraid to be on my own. So when I had that awakening in my early 30s that I don't think this is the right partnership, but how do I completely enter into the unknown of independence, of dating, of relationships, of who am I outside of these relationships? Because all I, my, my entire identity up to that point was wrapped up in my mom or my ex. None of it was about, I had no idea who I was. And I was in my early thirties when I discovered this. And so the scariest thing I ever had done was give up all of the comfort and security I had ever known for the hope that finding myself was going to be worthwhile. Mm. And And what happened? Yeah. And I had to embrace the unknown because what I realized was I had the known and in the known, I wasn't happy and fulfilled. And I did all that I could to try to get happy and fulfilled in that known. And then there was the unknown. And I had always assumed the unknown was this big black abyss of fear. I assumed it was dark and scary and bad because that's how I was raised, was that the unknown was scary and bad. But I had this realization one day that there was this other possibility that resided in the unknown, which was awesomeness, which was, wow, I could be equally as unhappy as I am now, or maybe I could be happier than I've ever been. And I had to decide which one to focus on. You know, there's that great Native American fable of a a young child asking the elder, you know, grandfather, if there's a wolf of love and a wolf of hate inside each one of us, which one is more powerful? And the grandfather responds by saying, whichever one you feed. So and if you feed the, the wolf of hate or the wolf of fear, that's going to become more powerful. Yeah. And then there's the, I think the Einstein quote of you get to choose every morning you get to choose. Do you live in a friendly universe or an unfriendly universe? Yeah. And I decided to reside in my new viewpoint after had I broken the board Mm -hmm. that the future is where, where I was happy, where I, where it was awesome. And I chose to embrace that. And I actually lost a lot of friends after my divorce because I think they would have stuck around more if they see me, had seen me struggle, but I was thriving. And I don't think people know what to do with that. It was hard for some people and I've been divorced now about five and a half years. And my ex, you know, he and I are good friends. In fact, we, we took our kids to Europe for two months, for two weeks this past summer. Um, My daughter had her bat mitzvah in Israel. And so 
in many ways, I'm able to continue a piece of my past because I don't have this horrible, treacherous, awful divorce. Yeah. While at the same time, I have found the love of my life, who I completely manifested, by the way. We joke he's only like three and a half years old because I'm not sure he existed before I manifested <laughs> him because my manifestation was that clear. And I'm happier and thriving more than I've ever, ever been. And what I've accomplished in my life through my divorce and since my divorce, I can't believe what I've done in these past five years that I had no momentum prior to that. So that was a long answer. It was a beautiful answer. And I forgot, I wanted to go back and acknowledge that, that old college friend of yours who just fluttered in dropped yes. a book title in your lap and then fluttered out. I just picture him before your souls came down to earth being like, oh, this is, this will be my job. Like, it's yeah. like, basically I'll bring the snacks. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Jory, you are such a bright, beautiful light. And thank Aww. you so much for sharing yourself and your thank stories. Thank you, Kelsey, for listening to all my stories. I'm like, okay, and then there's this story, and then there's oh. this story. Do you want to hear this story? <laughs> I love stories. I How love can people too. hear more of your stories? Where yes. Well, I've recorded a lot of my stories on my podcast, Journey Forward with Jory Rose. Um, so that podcast is on almost all the available places podcasts can be downloaded. Um, and that's a combination of not just my journey, but interviewing people of their inspirational journeys because I, I wouldn't be in the business I'm in if I didn't believe growth and change was possible. So that's what Journey Forward is all about. Um, also on Instagram at Jory Rose. And you can look at my website, joryrose.com, J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E. And I have on my website... Um, some books that I've written, mindfulness books for kids. I've got meditations, mindfulness courses, coaching, so you can work with me there. So that should awesome. be about all the places. Wait, and retreats? Yes, I've got two retreats booked for 2020. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm about to announce the official launch of my women's retreat at Marivelle in Tucson, which if oh, Marivelle is pure magic. And I just had two retreats there this past fall, and I can't wait to go back. So it's Journey Forward to Radical Acceptance mm. is the title. And it is May 17th through 20th, 2020. And it's limited, uh, only 11 people. And this is going to fill up quick because I had two retreats with 17 women total this past year. So I know these are gonna, this is going to fill up pretty quick. And then in September, September 12th through 19th, the love of my life, John, and I are, he's also in the field. He's got a PhD in psychology and he works with men. And in fact, he's got an amazing podcast. So if there's any men listening out there called The Evolved Caveman. And he teaches men the tools for emotional awareness because men are really happy and successful at work, but they don't know how to be happy and successful at home. So the emotional awareness and the tools are in between. So he and I are coming together and we're actually building a website and a coaching package for couples called The Ultimate Relationship. That's the name of our website also. And this is a seven-day retreat in Costa Rica that he and I are leading. And it's going to be phenomenal. We, we did a couple of, uh, we did a workshop recently that sold out. And especially the men were like, oh my God. But when they're ready for these tools, then you know we're on to something. Mm -hmm. The women are like, bring it. We need the help. <laughs> but when the men feel that they're able to be spoken to in a way that they can start to be awareness of how they can change. So the ultimate relationship, September 12th through 19th in Costa Rica with John and I, it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait. Oh, it sounds awesome. I love, I love that you are changing the world through your own path and on through yeah. your own journey, your own journey forward. It's, you know what? I, I have a tattoo that John and I got matching tattoos in Thailand that represents mindfulness it's a Thai symbol it's a whole other story I'm starting to talk about I'm going to stop talking but it's, it's all about that journey forward because you know what if I can't do it how can I expect anyone else to trust me to guide them in their journey mm -hmm. so I, I I've got to live the the tools that I'm speaking and I do I love it thank you so much for sharing so much with us and you may need to come back for more stories I have a lot so <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I would love, but like you said, they're all so juicy. Like there's so much meaning in them. They're not just gratuitous storytelling. At least I hope not. <laughs> no, no, they're juicy. They're juicy. Well, thank you, Kelsey, for it. having me on. I love talking with you and spending our time together. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group, Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.